Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. We have a very special guest today. Uh, Nick Dernasso was born in 1989 in Palos Hills, Illinois. His debut, Beverly, received the LA Times Book Prize for Best Graphic Novel. His follow-up, the graphic novel Sabrina, was a New York Times Notable Book of 2018 and received nominations for the Booker Prize, the Eisner Award, and many more. It's been published in 15 countries. Nick lives in Chicago with his wife and their two cats, and his new graphic novel is called Acting Class. Welcome, Nick. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I. the thing that struck me right away about Acting Class is that if it's about a, a random group of people who decide to sign up to take a free class, you have to be so brave. <laughs> I feel like I would um, be too intimidated. <laughs> Tell me yeah. about, yeah. That that was kind of the intriguing uh, germ of the idea for me too. Just that that realization that once you start to wade into adulthood past uh, past school your school age, that those things kind of fade away and those experiences. Uh, don't really come back unless you sort of force yourself into them. And most people don't. And I, I definitely don't either. Um, but it always seemed really alluring, the idea of even taking a, you know, a woodworking class or something. Uh, so I, I thought that would be interesting to uh, let people sort of muster up some kind of adventurousness that I, that I can't tap into. That was kind of part part of the the appeal for me. And I wouldn't say that many of of the participants in the acting class whose lives we get to know about a little bit um, throughout the book, no one's extremely extroverted. <laughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. So that adds another dimension of how do these slightly lonely or isolated people find the courage and, and the will to want to come together with this group of strangers and let them see them act. <laughs> yeah, I think that was also, I guess, you know, if, if you can't help but sort of write characters that are somewhat similar in temperament to yourself or kind of share your worldview to some degree, it's like thinking about what like none, what you would associate with the traditional actor personality, although that's broad, but like, you know, someone who is performative or comfortable or, or seeking the spotlight, kind of flipping that and, and instead placing these people who uh, maybe shouldn't even be there or just kind of accidentally found themselves in that environment. Um, was like when I when I was thinking of all the different scenarios, it was it was pretty easy to rule out the idea of an eager young wannabe celebrity kind of person. Like I just tried to kind of avoid all of those tropes and just kind of make this a little bit left of center, I guess, as far as what you would think of an acting class. And of course, you're style of drawing is so signature in that so many of your characters 
have emotions that are hard to disseminate, um, seemingly expressionless. And when, when we act, of course, we have to, I think maybe the amateurs <laughs> uh, would probably go um, the way of expressing themselves too much. Just tell me about drawing these people struggling to, to act um, in your style. Yeah, that was, that was kind of kind of a question that I never quite settled every day as I was sitting at the drawing table, just making all those thousands of, of practical decisions about how to set a scene or how to render the faces. Um, all I can say is that I guess I just did my best approximation of what I thought fit with, with the flow of the story and somewhat matched the, the I guess, like emotions of, of the scenes or something. Uh, but I kind of knew at the outset that it was going to be a challenge coming off of my last book, where all, all the characters generally look the same and, and don't emote much in their faces. Um, trying trying to figure out how to yeah have characters uh like have more variety in their expressions but now that i look back i think it even still veered towards that kind of expressionless kind of thing that i can't get away from once i actually start working on a story uh day after day um for some reason, all of those broader expressions that I try at the outset end up getting paired back. Or if I go back and redraw something, it's to make it more neutral because I find that for whatever reason, like a really something that's like really bold or expressive will just seem kind of clunky or or I just don't have the the sensibility to like integrate it into a story when like mostly I'm just concerned with readability and flow. I'm tricky. But then it makes the scene in which it's like the prototypical acting class scene, right? Um, where by just one expression on your face, you have to convey an emotion. And that was delightful. Um, watching your characters do exaggerated uh, expressions, except sad was easy to mistake. Tell me, tell me about drawing those emotions for that scene. Um, that was just kind of a fun, like, as I mentioned, as I just said, you know, sometimes integrating like exaggerated, obvious kind of emotions um, can, can seem kind of unnatural to my style, but that was an instance where it's like this very contrived prompt to like force them to like stare directly at the reader which I generally don't mm. I don't do as much and just kind of put on these these kind of mask um I have I, it came from a book I have called uh like drawing drawing or like communicating facial expressions with these like almost comically obvious examples of like this is what a shocked face looks like and this <laughs> is what a sad face looks like but it was surprisingly useful. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was kind of 
an interesting uh, scene for me for me to work through. It's great. Bamba's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bamba's, you're also giving to someone in need. Bamba's designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. There's a pair of Bamba socks for everything you do. For me, with uh, strangely small feet, I love that there is an option to um, buy a smaller size. Size small, adult, Bamba's. Life changer. Bamba's no-show socks are designed for comfort while being specifically engineered to never fall down. So let your ankles be free to soak up the sun. Bamba's t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. Bamba's underwear is so breathable and fits so well it feels like you're wearing nothing at all in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash Maris and use code Maris for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M. BAS.com slash Maris and use code Maris at checkout. Bombas.com slash Maris, code Maris. So let's start out talking about some of the characters that we um, come to know. The opening scene features Rosie and Dennis in a scene that, of course, is going to be baffling at first um partly because they do look alike i found like kind of androgynous kind of similar head shape uh tell me about making these very similar people uh it turns out that they're married to each other well it was Again, really, really difficult to, I, I found that I just uh, move more towards like these kind of unifying characteristics. And I'm always kind of trying to fight against that, but it always just kind of works out that way. Um, and I, I think in this case, maybe, maybe it did go a little too far far towards sameness, especially when you're trying to distinguish a bunch of different characters where nobody really takes center stage. Um, and, you know, that's fine. It's just part of the process of making something and then looking back at it when you don't have um, complete clarity in the middle of that, like, chaos of making something. So, yeah, even people commented at the time that, like, you know, even my, when my wife was was kind of peeking at it along the way, she was kind of warning me that some of these people were blending together. Um, and, and now that I look back, like to me, they were, I was way too close to it. And to me, they were like wildly distinguishable. But of course, that's like, you can't expect a reader to be as on top of the story as you are 
but but maybe I kind of always knew that this was kind of a messy book, so maybe that messiness is people can just kind of roll with it. But then, you know, it's always a spectrum where it's going to be too frustrating for, for some people who are not not worth the effort of going back 10 pages and figuring out who's who. And then, of course, I think that blends in so well with the idea that in their acting lessons, we see what's inside their heads and it kind of all bleeds in together. And that's a wonderful part of the book. Um, thanks. Yeah, it was, it was, it was hard to manage all of those, those storylines for me. Again, it, it did feel kind of unwieldy and I, I always felt a little uncertain as I was choosing these different paths and letting them all kind of crisscross and converge. But that was just, I, I couldn't really write or overly plot the book at the outset. So so I kind of I kind of was going in blind and and just kind of thinking on my feet, which is which is usually a more satisfying way to like navigate a story, I guess. And yet you have this really strong background with the characters. I, I watched the video that John and Quarterly put out um, of all of your drawings of of these characters, some of whom you have drawings of characters who didn't make the cut. <laughs> Tell me about them. Well, I think as I continue to make more books, it's harder to, um, I guess, keep 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 the variety. I guess to put it in the most boring, simple terms. Like my first two books were like a lot of the characters were just almost like Lego mannequin kind of generic faces. And, and that's fine. That was like me just doing my best at the time. But as I continue working, like I have to, I think I have to just be pulling from, from different sources more to keep it all from, from blending together too much or, or getting too repetitive. So yeah, when I started acting class, I was doing more preparatory um, paintings and just kind of looking at more source imagery and, and that's continuing now with this fourth project that I'm starting where I'm making these heads out of clay um, to have like a 3D model of a future character or like kind of a shelf of faces that I can pull from as I'm working and I'm gonna see how that goes. I love that. And it, there is some crossover, it seems like with Rosie's um, career profession. I, in that she works with figurines and I could see that you had fun drawing the figurines. Um, but tell me about the the sameness of, of that rote kind of job um, and how you wanted to convey it on the page. With her with her job specifically, the writing the names. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, it it sounds it's it's not very creative, uh, but that's like I had that exact job when I was like um, eighteen or nineteen for a season, and it was just such a surreal kind of couple months during the holiday, like a seasonal job at a factory, writing names on Christmas ornaments. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, 
and I just kind of filed it away as you know it would it would appear in some way in a book and it just seemed like you know a way to show like a directionless dead end job but but one that had like just such odd details to it visually um so it's it's kind of fun when you can pluck those things that that you feel like you know with you have some authority even if they're like relatively meaningless or not particularly interesting like i try not to abuse that when i when i decide to put those things in we wouldn't have known <laughs> um and then of course you you have beth and her grandmother gloria um in a figure drawing class and we when we meet their model thomas who also joins the class um we are we really see him <laughs> tell me about that uh level of figure drawing slash nudity. Well, despite what I said at the beginning, um, for a while there, just before COVID, I was going to a figure drawing class every once in a while with, with two cartoonist friends named um, Margot Farrick and Lily Correa. And there was like a nice brief period where it was a really nice thing to do with other people. And I had always enjoyed figure drawing in college and and thought that was a really fundamental thing that I should I should sort of keep up with. Um, and that was right as I was, I guess, beginning this book. Um, and and the introduction of the figure model Thomas was was one of those kind of accidental things where it wouldn't have come up if I had pre-plotted the book. I just wrote that scene as a way to introduce the, the grandmother and granddaughter. And then it it seemed very logical that, you know, this figure model would somehow be involved with the acting class too. So, and then ends up being like, you know, a pretty fundamental part of the story himself. So it's nice to just sort of stumble through, a, like stumbling through a story maybe isn't the smartest way to go about and causes <laughs> a lot of sleepless nights and frustration, but it's like that stumbling and that uncertainty is when like something catches you off guard, I guess. And and it must be, it seems even harder when you're trying to project what's happening in their imaginations, in their minds, because then you really have no limits in terms of what you could um, depict Tell me a little bit about figuring out what was going on inside these characters' heads and and how how threatening did you want the the their visions of the world to be? Yeah, that was that was a tricky kind of consideration with such a broad story like where to put some guardrails in place for myself to you know because yeah something like this could when you just say you know here's this open-ended prompt just let your imagination go wild i that's kind of daunting for me because i'm not I, I kind of know myself as a artist and a, like my creative ideas never really 
they're kind of hopelessly rooted in like the mundane real world and maybe they'll just be like every once in a while kind of a slightly surreal element or, or an interesting kind of visual disruption so yeah it was really hard to think about should i try to really go you know turn up the volume all the way and like make the most fantastical like kind of surreal you know especially in the last like third of the book it could go into some sci-fi world or you know something horrific or something fantasy based and um i guess i just i tried to sort of pare it down like almost thinking about if this was like a play with a, a limited budget or something or a movie that had like a budget like kind of just as a way to ground myself a little bit, which which is ironic because you think for a comic, maybe I'm completely misguided in some of those decisions because like people stress about not having a budget and they're like the one great thing about a comic is that you can blow up <laughs> New York City, you know, and do whatever. Um, and I just, for some reason, those ideas, um, I, I've never gone that route for some reason. And yet you do give us a, a few really fun pops of color. And it's it, it was kind of interesting for me to try to predict whose inner world would be livelier than, than, than the rest. Hmm. Um, and then that gets back to the kinds of personalities we have involved in this class, it seems like we have characters with some really dark inner lives or even just characters who are prone to catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. so, so tell me about drawing or writing the, the truly mundane uh, fantasy sequences that are that are delightful and charming, um, but don't end in um, violence. Yeah. Well, I think it it is, you know, tied to my own kind of sensibility and my own imagination or or lack of imagination. Like when I think about dreaming, I, I'm kind of, unfortunately, I just have those like dull, dreadful dreams. Like my dreams never really get into anything particularly interesting. Um, I'm usually circling back to some environment that I used to be in. I have like the classic kind of job anxiety dreams or like the last day of school. I don't have my paper ready, um, confused kind of dreams and so it, it was easy for me to sort of go that route when when these characters were just asked to sort of lay on the floor and just think of a scenario. Um, and I could I could write those scenes, I guess, more truthfully than than something more outrageous or or fantastical or something. And then we have to talk about the acting teacher, John. Tell me about um the basis for his character what inspired you to to bring a character like john into the world 
uh, it was kind of, I think I could, I kind of knew that it was just a matter of starting to write and I would sort of navigate his temperament and his methods as I worked. I, I think before I started, I had more of an idea of him as being um, more theatrical um, and more kind of charismatic or more abrasive. And, and kind of, I, I did some sketches of characters that seemed to have more, like just embodied that a little bit more. And then, you know, writing the script, I think there were like early attempts at writing something more like that, but then it became pretty obvious to me at least that making him this more like subdued, bland, unassuming kind of guy would be like more insidious and, and also when there are those chances for him to maybe, you know, show what his real motives are, like really try to make them as, as kind of low key as possible, where there's not any real moment where, you know, he pulls somebody aside. I mean, there are moments where he pulls somebody aside and definitely there's a suggestion that he's kind of a sinister, manipulative guy, but it's not so overt. There's always this air of like, I'm being sincere, but I'm not being sincere, but I am, but I'm not, you know, like that kind of, murky territory yeah and and that to me is yeah makes him so much more scary there there is no origin story there's no um we don't know what his evil plan is or if in fact there is an evil plan yeah yeah that was always a big uh i, I was fairly certain of that at the outset that this character you know wouldn't wouldn't really reveal his whole his whole hand or like maybe there isn't necessarily an explanation just the way sometimes there isn't a clear you know explanation for why somebody does something and that's that's always kind of intriguing more intriguing to me than the you know the endless movies about you know some you know serial killer where they have the the obligatory, like this is his father being mean to him and then the yeah. jump cut to 30 years later, that kind of thing. For sure. And then I guess in terms of getting to know these characters, you had to figure out, or maybe it was very obvious to you, I don't know, um, what kind of person uh, responds to, to the way that John manipulates um, and, and who, uh is harder to convince yeah um that was kind of an interesting like once i started to form the characters or have some idea of how they would respond to this class kind of playing with you know um i guess in a in a subtle like sometimes it's even just unspoken where hopefully there's I was hoping at least there'd be a look where it would be clear that, you know, like Rosie, for example, is kind of the way that the reader is probably viewing, experiencing the class is she's kind of ahead of the rest of the class as far as her awareness of what's going on. And then others are kind of just immediately on board for whatever reason about their character um, or something that John does for them, kind of puts them at ease and makes them really enjoy it without too much work. Um, and then especially like to me, the 
um, the interesting thing was, you know, those people that for whatever reason he just zeroes in on is like, this person's a threat or I just don't like this person and I need to sort of break them down um, and put them in their place. That was, I kind of just thought about like group dynamics in a very sort of general sense and what somebody might have to do as like a boss in a workplace or like a, you know, a cult leader or something. And you're like always managing all these different people and their needs and for someone who's like really manipulative or just purely callous, you can just like, you know, tell people whatever you think they want to hear. And that's, that's kind of, I, that's what I felt like he was doing most of the time. Yeah. And, and as the class progresses, I won't give anything away, but it, it's the, the classes are not like an hour in the community center <laughs> um, after the, fir the first one. Tell me about the space that you allow your characters to go to, like that liminal. Um, they're really focused. There they're, um, doesn't seem to be much distraction and allowing themselves to, to go there. I guess that's where I kind of introduced this subtly like I thought of it as almost like a supernatural conceit in the story where there's something that happens like in in one of the class the the settings where he asks them to meet at this kind of far out house and they kind of unquestioningly are drawn to the house like they kind of just go along with it and then they're asked to you know do this long form almost meditation journey and it ends up they're, they're almost, you know, hypnotized or something or, you know, um, it's kind of like sort of being like under a spell without being like overtly like magical or, or supernatural or something. Um, and, and that was kind of like, like I said, like my ideas and my world, the worlds that I'm drawing tend to be like pretty mundane, but like it was nice to have these kind of unexplained um, elements in this story, I guess. That's wonderful. Um, the book is acting class. It's beautiful and big and uh, everyone should get a copy. Nick, before we go, would you recommend some books for us? Yeah, um, it's kind of easy to, for me to recommend a few recent graphic novels that have like really floored me and, and made me kind of reinvested in comics, which sometimes will ebb and flow. But um, uh, The Third Person by Emma Grove is this massive like 900 page, just like emotionally exhausting, amazing story that people should just read and I don't have to really explain it. Um, and then another one in a similar, well, somewhat similar vein, cause it's, you know, it has to do with really heavy, a heavy subject and um, is uh, Our Little Secret by Emily Carrington, um, which I believe is her first book, her first major work, kind of grappling with her own experiences of childhood sexual abuse and trying to find justice in the legal system. And it's just like a really complex, story that like it's it's pretty amazing 
um, that it exists. Um, I think I think that's about it. Um, is that is two two books is okay, right? Two is perfect. Okay. Nick, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.